Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast from San Jacinto Assembly of God in Amarillo, Texas. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at www.sjag.church. Now here's this week's message. Last week I preached a message titled The Promise or The Power of a Promise using the scripture Hebrews chapter 11 verse 11 which was concerning the promise to Sarah and also to Abraham concerning a son that they would have, that son being Isaac. And sure enough that she had faith and, and so the power of the promise was the faith that was stirred up in that promise that God had given her. This morning, the title of my sermon is Praying in the Promise. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that's where we'll be. Would you stand with me this, this morning and as we read the first three verses of 2 Samuel chapter 7? It says, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around that the king said to Nathan the prophet see now I dwell in the house of cedar but the ark of God dwells inside tent, inside tent curtains then Nathan said to the king go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you tell me father Lord this morning we thank you and praise you God Lord we thank you for your presence here this morning in this house this place God we thank you for your word Lord which is the lamp under our feet and a light under our path and Lord, today, may it light our path, God, this, this morning in this place. Lord, may you, Lord, reveal things to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, but look at somebody say, it's so good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. Be honest about it. In our passage of Scripture, just to kind of catch you up, if you're one of those people that mark in a passage that I... Uh, Preach. You'll see I've preached in this passage before, but there's a lot of preaching in the Word of God. And this is not a sermon that I've preached before, but this is a, a different sermon. But, you know, we find that David wanted to build a house for the Ark of the Covenant. And if you know anything about the Ark of the Covenant, it represented the presence of the Lord. So basically then, David is saying, I want to build a place that we can, you would have to dwell, Lord that you could have your presence there in the midst of us. I want to honor you. He says, David looked at himself and said, I'm living in a nice place. Why not have the Ark of the Covenant to have a better place than just behind some curtains? Not for sure exactly where the tabernacle was there at that time, but David thought it was good to put the Ark in a different place, in a better place. Nathan, the prophet, says, go ahead and do all that's in your heart. In other words, Nathan liked the ideal. He thought this was a good thing. But God gives Nathan a word he is to speak to David concerning the matter about him building a place for the ark. You know, I remember uh, many years back, I went to the uh, nursing home and we were going to go there. My pastor and I, we were going to go and pray for this man that had been in the nursing home for quite some time and I loved the man. He used to come by and see me all the time and he was at the school functions and his name was Ernie. And we called him Ernie Nuke, the cameraman spook. 
Now, he didn't mind that name. Don't get all upset at me for us calling him that. But he was always taking cameras or pictures when we was at sports events. And he would give us the pictures and, and all these things. And he had came down with dementia. And he was in the old folks' home. And, and I said, Pastor, let's go pray for him. So we go to pray for Ernest Newcomb is his real name. And, and we go to, we just want to pray for him. And all of a sudden, Ernest looks up at us and he says, he's laying on the bed. I remembered that little room that he was in. And he's, he's laying on that bed. And he says, I'm going to pray for y'all. And we thought, okay. Well, he prayed a prayer that was just out of this world when he prayed for my pastor and myself. And literally, when he got through praying, we were just like, just tears coming down our cheeks because of the prayer that Ernest prayed over us. We went to do something for him, but he reversed it and prayed for us. And what a blessing that was for us to hear that prayer that Ernest Newcomb prayed for us that day. In our passage of Scripture today, why did I say in our passage of Scripture today, God did the same thing with David. If you read the passage, David's got an ideal of doing something special for God. But if you read the whole chapter, which we're going to look at this morning, if you read the whole chapter, you'll find that God reversed a thing back on David. Isn't it amazing? God works that way. You go to do something good for God, and He does something better for you. And this is exactly what happened in David's circumstance. See, because within the word that Nathan was to give David was a promise from God to David. Within the word that God told Nathan to give David was a promise that God had made to David. So I want to look at that this morning. The first thing I want you to note about promises is promises of God are nothing short of being supernatural. Promises of God are nothing short of being supernatural. One of the reasons being they are given by inspiration of God. And when we think of God, God is not a piece of wood. He's not a piece of metal that someone has cut out with a welder or a torch. And he's, he, he is God, the creator of all things. He is God, the creator of all things. In 2 Samuel 7, verses 4 and 5, listen to what it says. But it happened that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Those are some pretty important words. Nothing like getting anointing oil on your glasses. That's kind of better. So anyhow. Thus saith the Lord. Now, we've heard that word or those words quite often. We hear it a lot. We've heard it a lot back in COVID. We heard a lot of guys step on the platforms and they would say four more years and, and they would say, hey, this is going to be done. We, one famous evangelist said, thus saith the Lord, COVID will be done in 30 days. And he's still preaching today. And people are still listening and pouring money into his ministry. I'm saying today, David heard these words. Nathan heard these words. He says, you need to go to David and say, thus saith the Lord. I'm going to tell you, there are some thus saith the Lords that we need to listen to that are really inspirational things from God that goes through man. When God is really saying, thus saith the Lord, is something to pay attention to. Thus saith the Lord. 
And so Nathan was told to go to David and say, Thus saith the Lord. How many, you know, I, I'm sure some of you in this place have heard people say, Thus saith the Lord. And perhaps it was somebody speaking over you or what it may be. But let me tell you, there are circumstances, there are those real moments when God speaks to His children. Nathan was a very credible prophet. When Nathan spoke, he spoke of what the Word of God would say or what God spoke in him. He was the same one that later had to go and get on to David and tell him he was wrong in the way he was living. Nathan didn't just always prophesy good things. Nathan also would prophesy bad things. So Nathan was very credible. Unlike some that we hear today in this time that we're living that are more about drawing a crowd than they are saying, thus saith the Lord for sure. I've watched one preacher, and, and I was watching him pretty good there for a while, but when, you know, when, when, when things don't come to pass of what they're saying, thus saith the Lord, and he would say, thus saith the Lord, I don't know how many times in his preaching, and none of it came to pass. I'm going to tell you, I'm finished watching that stuff. And I have people tell me, oh, he's saying this and that. I don't care what he's saying, because thus saith the Lord evidently doesn't mean anything to him. So thus saith the Lord is very important. The gifts of the Spirit. We'll hear it every now and then when the gifts of the Spirit are moving. Thus saith the Lord. I'm going to tell you, the gifts of the Spirit are from the Lord. They are credible. And the things that come through, the, the message in tongues and interpretation, or where it's a prophetic word, prophecy, those are thus saith the Lord. Those are very credible things. But I'm going to tell you another thing that's very credible. It's the Word of God. Have you ever thought in your hand that you have is thus saith the Lord? Thus saith the Lord. This word, the Bible says it, it'll never pass away. The word of God. This is thus saith the Lord. This is thus saith the Lord to me. This is thus saith the Lord to you. This is thus saith the Lord to all humankind. This word is credible. And it will come to pass everything that's written in it. 2 Timothy says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Just like the gifts of the Spirit are given by inspiration of God. What Nathan was saying, was saying it was inspired by God. The Word of God is, is inspiration of God. Listen to what 2 Peter says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they was moved by the Holy Spirit. So we find that the Word of God is definitely inspired. It is credible. It is true. It is right. What's in it is something that we know that God has written and inspired. One translation says instead of inspiration, it said it is God breathed. Think about that. It says this is God spoken, the Word of God. So we find that by the inspiration that we know that this is a supernatural thing because it comes from God Himself. Another thing is that it, they, surpa they surpass man's ability. Promises of God surpass man's ability. We are all limited in what we can do and what we can say we can do because our abilities. 
Listen to 2 Samuel 7, verse 11 through 13. He says, Also the Lord tells you that He will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. Listen to what the wording of that passage says. This is a promise from God to David. Remember, promises of God are nothing short of being supernatural. He says, I will establish your kingdom. House literally means, if you're reading in other translations, it means a dynasty of kings. And there were many kings to follow David that was in David's bloodline. He says, I will establish you a dynasty of kings. Literally, David had no control over what happened after he died. Amen? You know, there are a lot of people that try to control what happens with their finances after they die. They'll do a living trust and, and they'll try to write everything so much that no lawyer can break it. But let me tell you, any lawyer can break just about anything that's on paper. What is that? I'm trying to control my wealth, my money after I breathe my last breath. But the truth is when you breathe your last breath, you have the last say-so. Because somebody's going to figure out a way to get some things done. And this is the same thing with David. We say a, a promise from God, this promise he's getting from God, it's beyond his grave. It's beyond his ability. God says, after you're gone, after you die, I'm still going to do what I promise you. That's an amazing thing that God said he will do. I will still perform this thing beyond. So it's supernatural. The Bible tells us this. Yet God tells him he will establish his kingdom. And in the passage of Scripture, you'll find the first thing that he does is it's through his son Solomon. Solomon did not become king until after David died. So his first fulfillment of the promise was Solomon. But if you read the passage of Scripture, it makes this chapter that we're looking at this morning, chapter Chapter 20, let me see what chapter one, chapter seven. <laughs> this chapter that we're looking at this morning, it makes this passage a very important passage for prophetic or for prophecy. Because in that passage of scripture, it says this, that I will establish your kingdom forever. I will establish your king, your throne forever. It's not just talking about Solomon and the kings that followed him, but it's talking, it's a prophetic message, it's a prophetic passage that speaks of Jesus Christ, our king, our Lord, that would come and give his life upon the cross of Calvary. This passage is very critical in prophecy because see, you read about Jesus and Matthew and he's in that line of, of, of kings, he's in that line of family, that bloodline of David himself. God told David, I'm going to establish your kingdom. I'm going to bring a king that will have an everlasting kingdom, an everlasting throne through you. How many know that is a supernatural thing to do? This is speaking thousands of years ahead. It's speaking a, a, a long time up in the future that he would bring Jesus and he would establish him as king of kings and lord of lords. And I don't care what anybody says, the Lord's kingdom will never end. <clears throat> it didn't end up on the cross. His kingdom will never end. 
All the stuff that spoke of and all the, all the scriptures written of the millennium and all that afterwards will take place. So his promise is nothing short of being supernatural. A very prophetic word. Can I tell you, man cannot promise such things. Man can make statements, but they can't bring them to pass. I can make you feel good with some words, and I can make you feel good that, hey, we're going to take care of everything. But the truth is, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. But God can make us promises that are supernatural, promises from the throne room of God, and He can perform what He says. He can look into all the a thousand years that the Lord tarries. He can promise something a thousand years from today and make it come to pass. When God gives a promise, it's nothing short from being supernatural into your life and into my life because He is God. He is King. He is the Creator of all things and nobody can keep Him from doing what He says He's going to do. He's our God. He's the one that we've come together for this morning and He's the one that provided salvation because He promised it to you and I. It's nothing short of supernatural when we hear the promises of God into our lives because God has spoken. Hallelujah. And He's able to provide Form that which he says. That is our God, the supernatural. And sometimes we write it off, oh, he's just a, pro, uh, he's just a, you know, we're like some other religions, oh, he's just a great prophet, or he had good philosophy. No, he is God. He is God. And he is supernatural. So when he promises, we got to understand that. So how do we respond when we have a promise from God. See, I think it's important. How do we respond when we have a promise from God? Your response is always important. How many of you have ever had someone say, well, I hear what you're saying, but your face is telling me something totally different. We've all been there. The response is important too when we get something from supernatural. I don't know about you, but you know, there's people that flock to the supernatural and that's all they do. They hear something supernatural is happening over here. They go there and something else happening over here. They just back and forth. Why? Because they're all about the supernatural. How do we as people of God, how do we respond? How did David respond to such a promise that says, David, when you're put into the ground, into that tomb, I'm going to take care of your family and out of your family is going to come a king that will be a king for eternity. How do you respond when God speaks into our lives? I'm going to tell you, one of the things that David did, and I believe it's good for us, prayer is always a good response to God's promise. Prayer is always a good response to God's promise. We find that in this chapter. You get down to verse uh, 17 in this chapter, and that's the end of the promise. And from 18 on, it's David. David responding to the promise. From 18 to verse 20, 29, he's responding to the promise that has been made to him. 2 Samuel 18, listen what it says. Then David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said. David went in and sat before the Lord. Now, I can't tell you exactly where David went to sat before the Lord. Maybe you can tell me. All of us should have a place that we go in and sat before the Lord. They call that a prayer closet or a place that you go and meet Jesus on a daily basis, that you go and have that moment with, with, with God. All of us should have that established in our life as Christians that we have a place that we go in and sat before the Lord. But David went in. What did he go in there for? Just to sat? No. He went in 
there to have a prayer with God. Why? Because of the promise that he had just been given. And he went in and sat before the Lord. Prayer is a conversation with God. Prayer is a conversation with the Lord. And David went in to have that moment of prayer. And from verse 18 to 29 is his prayer because of the promise Nathan had just said, Thus saith the Lord. He went in to have a time with God. What did his prayer contain? Let me tell you, I think we can find something out if we look at his prayer. The first thing that David's prayer has is prayer that is a prayer that contains humility. A prayer that contains humility. Seven eighteen says, "Who am I, O Lord?" And what is my house that you have brought me this far? Now that, you might understand that if you were the, if maybe you were some, some sinner that finds himself in, in the, the bar ditch or the street with nothing going on, have nothing for your life going on. You say, who am I, God, that you would do this for? But let's not forget who this is that's praying this. He's not somebody like that, but he is the king of Israel. David is a a king of a nation. In men's eyes, he is a success. In the eyes of man, they used to sing his praises. Saul's killed his thousand and David's killed his ten thousands. In the eyes of man, David is somebody. But when it comes to hearing the promise concerning his life from the Creator, he responds by saying, Who am I? It wasn't like, well, it's about time that you took notice about what all I've been doing for your kingdom. That's not how David responded. It wasn't like this. And sometimes we get that mindset because we forget ourselves that we get too familiar with God and we lose our holy reverence for Him and we walk in like we're somebody special because we're preachers or whatever it may be and we forget of the fact that He is God and I'm nothing but a created being that He has given me the opportunity to have life through Jesus Christ and I forget my where I'm supposed to be. I forget my position. David did not forget his position as the creation and not the creator. And he understood that God had created him. And he says, who am I that you, O God, would make such a statement to? He had such a humility. And how many times when we get a promise from God, we hear it that we're supposed to just claim it and, 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 and proclaim it and all this stuff. And we forget the reference to who it is that gives it to us. Come on, if God says I can get healed, where is it that moment in my life I says, who am I that can be healed from you, God? What am I to you that you would even heal me? There's a humility that must remain even when we have the promises of God. We find it in this prayer with David that he was still humble. Even at this great promise that God had gave him, he says, who am I that you would do such a thing? Who am I? You know, I've often thought of, who am I that you would live and die for? Who am I? I mean, I don't know what it looks like from heaven. But I suspect it's a long ways up there. 
especially when you talk the third heaven. I imagine if I was to look down, you know, look down, and if the Lord didn't, I would think I was just this little bitty speck on this big old globe. And it really amazes me that God cared enough for me to send a preacher from Missouri. It amazes me that he sent an evangelist that would pass away a few years later to preach a gospel message that I would get saved from. And I, I think, who am I that you would care enough for me to make so many plans that I would come to know the Lord Jesus as my Savior? Who am I? And the promises that God gives. See, I think sometimes we are arrogant and we are, we are not entering the throne room of God in humility, but we enter with pride and also entitlement. And if we're not careful, we miss out on what David was saying. He's not saying, Lord, I'm entitled to this. He says, why would you do this for me? There's a humility there that we find in David. Another thing that his prayer contained is the prayer that contains praise. 2 Samuel 7, 22 says, Therefore you are my great... You are great, O God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Listen, the promise had overwhelmed David. Not only that he comes in and says, Who am I that you would do such a thing? But David was overwhelmed with joy and excitement. He broke out into praise for the Lord. He broke out into praise when he started to think what the promise was. He broke out in praise. This is my word. My my. My family, they're going to stay on the throne and they're going to continue my, that dynasty of, of legacy. He, he broke out into the praise. He thought about the promise as he came to us and says, Who am I? Then he broke out and praised God. Who is like you? There's nobody like you, God. Oh, you're awesome, God. You're, you're mine. Oh, Lord, I love you. I praise you, God. Hallelujah. Have you ever just got excited when God gave you a promise and it soaked in just a tad bit? Come on. You ever had a promise of God and it starts to soak in a little? Yeah, a little more. And all of a sudden, you may not be Pentecostal, but you shout like a Pentecostal. Come on, I, I'm telling you, David, in the midst of this humility, in the midst of touching and, and saying, God, who am I? Then it dawned and started to realize, and then he starts to praise God. I'm going to tell you, it's all right to praise God. It's all right to praise God when he touches your heart. It's all right when God puts a promise in your heart to say, God, oh my word, there's nobody like you. And it's all right to get a little bit excited about your walk with God and what God is doing in your life. It's all right. I think we need a little more of that excitement. David wasn't one to hold it back. I mean, he danced before the ark. And some judged him. But God didn't judge him for his excitement. God didn't judge him for his excitement. Come on, it's all right to praise the Lord. I think when we get a promise from God, we are to be a little excited. Come on, I'm going to tell you, heaven's on the horizon. I said heaven is on the horizon. We talked about it. Jesus is coming soon. 
I, I, I'm gonna tell you, I get a little excited when I'm talking about Jesus. You know, the Spear family, I believe it was. They used to sing those songs about heaven all the time and they would get to shouting and a clapping and enjoying heavens. Oh, what a beautiful day it's going to be. And before you know it, they were praising God. That's okay. Why? Because they have heard the promise. Oh, that if you breathe your last breath, He's going to come and get you. But if you're still here, you're going to be changing a moment in an instant of a second and you're going to go up to heaven. It's all right. Hallelujah. To get a a little excited about the, the promises of God in our life and to give him praise. David done it. David gave him praise in the midst of that prayer. I pray out in my shed out in the backyard and I often wonder if the neighbors have left to go to work yet because every now and then I get a little loud. But it's when God just, that revelation of who he is and what he says. I can ask you this morning, what promises of God have, has, has He made to you that make you shout a little bit? That stir you up inside? The next thing is prayer that contains, let's get her done. Now, David didn't say that. But he got close. Because sometimes we don't have this part in our prayer. 2 Samuel 7, 25 and 26. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. David said, As you've spoken, let it come to pass. The word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. Remember, David is in the middle of a prayer. And he says, God, the word that you have spoken, let it come to pass in my life. Let it come to pass in Israel. Let that promise that you have said come into my life. Sometimes we just hear the promise and we let the promise go and we think that's all we need to do is hear the promise. But David shows us here that we need to also pray the promise in. We need to pray that which God has spoken over your life, that which God has spoken over the church. We need to pray those things in that they will take place. The disciples and all the believers had a promise one from John the Baptist and one from Jesus. Matthew 3, 11, it says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Ghost and fire. That's a promise. Not just to the disciples, but it's a promise to the believers. Listen to what the Lord said in Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and the end of the earth. Promises. What did they do? They were found in the upper room. You know what the upper room? I've been in the, supposedly the upper room in, in, in Jerusalem. They said this might be where it was. So we just acted like it was. We went ahead and prayed in there. But listen, the upper room was a place that they met and they had a conversation with God. The Bible says, you know, it speaks of the fact they are praying. 
They are praying and seeking God. Why? Because they had had a promise. That they said, if, if Jesus said, you go to Jerusalem and tarry, and I will fill you with power. And so what was going on? They were praying in the Spirit. Uh, you know, it's not only that, but when they were told not to preach the Word of God over in Acts 4, they prayed again for what? The power. They said, Lord, grant us power to do what you've asked us to do. Grant us the power to share the gospel that we can preach the name of Jesus. What are they doing? They're praying the promise of God just like David was praying. I got filled with the Holy Spirit praying the promise of God. I went and said, Lord, this is how you say I can be filled. I can be filled with evidence of talking in tongues. I was praying the promise. And guess what happened to me? Out in the oil field, I got filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Why was I praying that? Because I read it in the Word of God, which is inspired by the Word of God, and I prayed it into my life, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Praying the promise of God in our lives. David was praying the promise of God. So I've been healed when I've prayed the promise. I was saved when I prayed the promise, if I'll confess my sins. I'm pastoring because I prayed the promise that God gave me one night in Psalms 32, 8. And he says, I will lead and instruct you and guide you in the way you shall go. I'm saying today, I, I think sometimes we're not living in the promise. It's because we're not praying the promise into our lives. I think the church is dried up because we're not praying the promise that God has said he will promise the church, the anointing, the power of God to come down in the church. I think sometimes we're not doing what we need to do in this world is because we're not praying God's promises in this church, in our church. Praying the promises of the Lord is something that we need. David gives a reason he prays for the promise to be fulfilled. He says, for you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Now listen to what he says. This is my whole message right here. I did all that talking just to get right here. Therefore your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. Therefore the servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. What has he found? Why? Because of what the Lord had told him. The promise, he says, because of what you said, I have found it in my heart to pray it back unto you. To pray the promise. To pray the promise. He's praying because God has said it. It's all right. Listen, it's all right to pray the promises of God in your life. Pastor Oliver, if you'll come this morning. You know, I think of this passage of Scripture. I think of what many times we want. We want the promises of God with no work, no effort. We want that to come into our lives. But there are so many promises to God, to us, from God, for the church, this day that we live in. There really is. And I, 
believe one of the reasons we're not seeing a lot of the things that are promised in the Bible is because we are not taking time to pray for those things. To pray, God, your word. God, your word says in the last day that you'll pour your Holy Spirit out upon all people. But yet we're not seeing an outpouring of the Spirit. You know, and literally because we're lacking in the Spirit, we're trying to find man-made ways to build a church, what we call a church. And we're really not building a church, we're just building crowds. And sometimes we say, well, what happened to the old days where they had healing and where they had signs and wonders and all these things? You know, I, those, those days are great, but listen, we're not in those days anymore. I, I, I can't go back. I wish I could go back. Bobby and I was talking about how fast we ran the 40 yesterday. He, he said 4.8 for him. I had to go down to 4.5. He thought maybe a little fast. Well, I'm thinking 4.4. And, and, you know, just we probably neither one could run 5.4. I don't know. But I could outrun him. But I can't go back to those days. And literally, I can't go back to the old Pentecostal days. We can't go to the, back to the, uh, the Zuzu Street and, and see what happened there. But I, I, you know what? God didn't say I'm cutting it off at a certain generation. God, you don't find that in God's Word. He says, I'm going to pour my Spirit out upon every generation, all people. He says, I'm going I'm I'm to build a church. Matter of fact, he says, I'm going to build a church right next door to the gates of hell. And sometimes we get all wrapped up in location and say, well, we're in a bad location to build a church. i got to differ with you, my friend, because if Jesus said, I'm going to build my, gates to the, uh, my church next to the gates of hell, this place we're at, it's not bad at all. I'm going to tell you, he can build his church wherever he wants to build his church. And we must understand, it's not in lacking of him wanting to. Sometimes we're just not praying the right prayers and we're not hungry for the right promises that God has spoke over our lives. I'm saying today that God is more than happy, more than willing to pour His Spirit out upon His people once again. When we start to be like the apostles and the disciples in the book of Acts when they said no more preaching and they said oh but God you promised the power give us the power one more time give us the promise that you promised us that we can preach the word of God with boldly that they may be healed in the name of Jesus. I'm saying today that we need to pray more. Ah, oh, it's a bad word in the church prayer meetings. It's a bad word in the church. Oh, don't ask me to show up to pray. But I'm saying today that God will not move any other way than praying and asking God to do a wonderful work. It's prayer. Prayer, my friend. I've got time to do all kinds of things in my life, but i got to take time to pray. Prayer. We are to be moved when God says, I promise, or God says, I'll pour His Spirit out upon us. And it takes prayer, prayer to move the hand of God. The Lord said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You know what that means? My people will be called a people of prayer. We got such busy things in this world. We got such things to do. I can sit on Facebook for three hours, but I can't give ten minutes to God. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. But I'm saying prayer. We're living in one of the most difficult times there's ever been on planet Earth, and in our country especially. We just want God to show up. God ain't going to show up unless we pray Him in. 
God isn't going to pour His promises out unless we pray about those promises. The devil keeps us all mixed up and upset at one another. You know what the Bible says? Pray for them. Quit talking about them. Prayer for one another. That's what the house of God is supposed to be. We need more prayer. More prayer. David got the promise. What's he do? He goes in and sets before the Lord. He could have said something like Hezekiah. Hey, that's fine. As long as the next generation doesn't matter. As long as it's good for me. David goes and sits in the house of God. Prayer. Prayer is what we need. Praying the promises in. It's all right. In this Bible, there's a lot of promises. And we are falling short. The church today of living in the promises of God. I believe it's time that we pray.